Welcome to Leonard Lopate at Large. I'm Leonard Lopate. In spite of documented Russian meddling in the 2016 U.S. presidential election and years of warnings from security researchers about insecure voting technology, the U.S. has done little to improve its election defenses. A new documentary, Kill Chain, the Cyber War on America's Elections, lays out the urgency of taking action before the 2020 election with a focus on the work of Harry Hursty, a Finnish security researcher. The team of filmmakers responsible for Kill Chain includes Sarah Teal, Simon Artizoni, and Russell Michaels. It debuts tonight, Thursday, March 26th at 9 p.m. on HBO and uh, will also be available on HBO On Demand, HBO Now, HBO Go, and partner streaming platforms. And I'm very pleased that it brings Harry Hursty and Sarah Teal to our show now. Welcome. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Sarah, in 20, uh, 2006, you were part of a, a team that created a documentary called Hacking Democracy. Would you consider this film a sequel? Um, uh, in, a sense, in a sense, it's a sequel. Um, Simon, Russ, and I did um, Hacking Democracy together. And Hari was, um, at the end of the film, able to show how easy it is to flip the vote using only a memory card. Um, and it caused a big stir at the time. It was nominated for an Emmy. It was on HBO. And virtually nothing happened since. We thought it would that they would quickly fix all these problems. And that isn't what happened. And so in 2016, Simon Russ and I realized that there was going to be a problem. Um, and so we had stayed in touch with Hari. And Hari had thankfully moved to New York in the, in the meantime. And so we all teamed up again. And three years later, here we are. More, three and a half. Were you at all concerned about how to approach such esoteric technical material in a way that would make it understandable to a, a non-technical viewer like me? Yes. Yes, it's impossible. It's very, very hard to make this subject uh, accurate um, and interesting. I mean, luckily, Hari is... Um, a fantastically interesting person to have to spend some years with. So um, that was always a plus. Um, it is very hard. And we had a sort of a, a team of us at Ish Entertainment also where we were housed. Um, we'd sit and watch things again and again um, with people working there to make sure that everybody understood what we were at. But it took us it took us a while to find to find the rhythm of the film and to find... Um, how to make this uh, interesting and explainable. It, this is why so many people don't cover this subject. It's because it is hard to, to understand. It is, yes, and we will, and luckily we, luckily we have Harry. <laughs> now, Harry, how old were you when you started writing sophisticated software? Uh, well, first time when, uh, since I was 13 years old, I have been uh, basically being paid uh, for the work all the time. Uh, I don't know whether uh, sophisticated is the right word, and, and let me explain that. Back those days, uh, everything written those days were, a, by today's standards, <laughs> a trivial, if not embarrassing. Uh, mm -hmm. But at the time, there was no education. There was uh, a lot of the theories, how we do things today, didn't exist. So it wasn't, maybe my first software wasn't, wasn't that much a, a cutting edge in, in the style, but at the same time, at those days, we just got uh, try to get everything done, and uh, and that's actually a good ex example. 
because today you should always start everything designing security in mind, security first. And it has to, security cannot be added later. It has to be in a very DNA of the design. It has to be one of the specifications. Back those days, we didn't consider security at all. We were just trying to get a feature functionality to work. But, you know, again, we are talking 35 years ago. Before you became one of the world's top experts on voting security, did you do much hacking yourself? Hacking, yes. And, and let me also be very clear that back those days, hacking didn't have the negative connotation at all what it has today. So mm -hmm. hackers uh, those days were shapers and dreamers, tinkerers and inventors. Uh, it was more a question of non-science non -science approach of building stuff by trial and error and trying new things. That's what, what, what hacking meant back those days. And it was afterwards when a lot of other words, which are similar, like speakers and, and, and crackers, uh, which have a more legally negative connotation, were merged in the media to be, uh, and, and in entertainment to be single word. But hacker back those days uh, meant uh, something completely different as a, what is the common person's uh, mind. And I'm, I have been, I'm a lifelong hacker but the meaning of the word has changed from time to time. And again, as a security researcher, uh, I'm very often asked if, uh, I'm, you know, you are certainly a, a white hat. And I say, well, no, uh, because white hats get it wrong. White mm -hmm. hats are treating security as an intellectual challenge. Uh, in order to do a good work, uh, you have to have the criminal mind. You have to have <laughs> the capability of seeing seeing what the criminals are doing. So I, I consider myself a non-fractioning black hat, but, but the, certainly one of the key elements is that you understand that the criminal doesn't want to be caught, so hence criminals are not treating this as an intellectual challenge and something they get to brag about. It's more a, a stuff of, uh, a, a, especially if you take into account also military uh, people, it is a... Kill your stuff, break your toys, and steal your things. Not necessarily that order, but that's really the mindset. There's no style point when your goal is to achieve your mission and, and get mission first. So there is no style point. How did the clients come to hire you to investigate vulnerabilities in the U.S. election system? And how were you able to demonstrate in 2005 that Diebold voting machines were hackable? So first of all, I had zero interest of uh, U.S. election systems. I had uh, sold my businesses. I had uh, retired. I was backpacking around the world. Uh, I stopped to visit my friends in, in L.A. 2004, and a friend of a friend started talking to me about the election security and asked if I'm interested. And I listened to the story and say, I don't believe any of that. Um, this is you. you there gotta be a missing. This gotta be thrown out of proportion. It cannot be that bad. But nevertheless, I'm not interested. Off to Tahiti, and and then I was pestered for a while. After that, this common friend uh, who was also knowing Sarah relayed my information to UK. They kept pestering me, and eventually I wanted to get rid of them. And I, I remember it was a. a just before Christmas 2004, 
I was in, 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 in Amsterdam and I decided to get rid of this topic by setting an impossible set of rules. Uh, saying, yes, I can get involved, but this and that needs to happen. And I was like, well, right, that's take care of that. That, that, that will never happen. Until then, uh, about five months later, I got a call that Ion Chancho, the uh, election supervisor of uh, Leon County, Tallahassee, Florida, is willing to meet uh, my, my conditions, and the rest is history. So it was Ion then who not only invited me, but after the first visit also convinced me that uh, either I need to go all the way through and find the fact which he... When the Supreme Court of, uh, of Florida stopped his recount, he felt that he didn't get his answers. You need to know, get the bottom of it, get the, the information uh, he, he wanted to find out. So he basically told me, either do this or find me someone who will do it. I also would like to point out that uh, when the hacking democracy was filmed, uh, that hack was done blindly. Uh, it was never tested. So, uh, actually, the, the thing what you see in the movie, that was the first run. Ion didn't give me, a, because he's a responsible man and, and didn't know my background and he needed to use the system in the future election, he didn't give me un, uh, unrestricted access. So, actually, the whole hack was developed pretty much uh, blindfolded. And, and there is a nervousness. There's an element of nervousness when the, the thing was done because... I thought I had uh, figured it out, and I thought um, it would work, but I didn't know. And I was out of the room, walking through the window, seeing everybody else's faces to yeah. see uh, it's working. <laughs> now, that Diebold voting machine that you could that you proved was hackable in 2005 is isn't that the same machine that you were uh, that is going to be used again in the 2020 election? Yes, it can, it's going it can to be used in good. 20 different states. It's going to be used and, and, and with the same software, but I would like to point out that even when that was the first machine uh, used in the U.S., which were hacked and demonstrated, it is still inherently one of the more secure machines. And the reason is it uses hand-marked paper ballots. So even if the machine is hacked, you still have a remedy. You can find the, the hack by auditing the paper ballots, and you can you have a remedy and recourse if you detect uh, an, uh, a, a hack by recounting the paper ballots. That makes that system still one of the inherently more, most secure systems used in the U.S., comparing the, all of the things systems which are unauditable, which doesn't have this paper trail, you can go back, and especially paper trail which humans can process, which is not always the case with the ballot marking devices. So yeah. every, uh, let me just quickly wrap this up. Every voting machine which is used in the United States today can be hacked. Every machine, which a voting machine which we can imagine in a foreseeable future can be hacked. So the, while we need to improve the security of the infrastructure, you still cannot trust that. So you always need to be uh, auditing the results to find out if, if anything happened. And U.S. elections are almost uniquely complex in the world. U.S. elections cannot be conducted uh, without aid of uh, information technology. Uh, the activists sometimes talk about a, a hand count. That's possibly the smallest of the jurisdictions. But we humans have three qualities which are undesirable in elections. We are slow, we are error-prone, and we are dishonest. So 
one thing where what, what it leaves us is we need to use computers and technology to count, but we also have to recognize we cannot trust that system, so we have to audit the results. And hence, having a system which you already know can be hacked or have been proven to be hacked is even more an encouragement to go back to the paper ballot and, and audit because like IRS, like any forensic examination, evidence and paper ballot being evidence, evidence only has value when you have a right to take a look at the evidence. I'm speaking with Harry Hersey, who's featured in a new film uh, made uh, by a team that includes Sarah Teal, our other guests, called Kill Chain, the cyber war on America's election that uh, premieres tonight at 9 p.m. on HBO. This is Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM. Sarah, there have been dozens of security breaches in our elections. Are they usually reported as random and unrelated events? Yes, that's the thing. People, people seem to think that because voting is local and the reporting is local, that these are local events and that these are glitches. These are just, you know random things that happened. And certainly when people first noticed that there had been problems with the registration rolls, it was reported as local. I was one of the people bounced off my uh, registration roll in New York, and then NPR did an investigation and found that there were over 300,000 between Brooklyn and Lower Manhattan. And, and that was just reported as, you know, oh, a, a problem with the New York Board of Elections, it, it wasn't. It was part of a much bigger thing. And Michael Daniel, who was the cybersecurity expert in the White House, in Obama's White House, is in our film. And they were tracking this. And, and it, it eventually came to realize that the registration rolls in all 50 states had been hacked. So, so they're actually part of a co yeah. coordinated effort that is called a kill chain, the, yes. which gave you the title of yes. your, your film. Wasn't the term kill chain originally used as a military concept? How does it work? Yes. It's, it's, a, it's a, an ancient military concept. And, and Hari, you can, Hari can explain because he was the one who, when he first mentioned it, we were um, very grateful because actually it gives you um, a, 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 an understanding that this wasn't just a series of random glitches, that this is um, a campaign uh, waged over many years of reconnaissance first, um, and then, well, you, you explain, Hari, how, how, how a kill chain works. And, and what so, the goal of this long game attack is, Harry? Well, yes. first of all, uh, the threat model of U.S. elections has been traditionally wrong. The threat model has been a dishonest candidate or a support group of a candidate who are trying to cheat to win. And that is fundamentally a narrow view because if you look at nation state actors, if you look at disruptors, hacktivists, that area, there's a lot of areas there which uh, the primary target might not be their preferred target, uh, preferred candidate or passing their preferred proposal. It might be just to sow distrust and undermine the society, uh, destroy the society. So uh, in, we have to really go back to the drawing board and make the same exercise which we have been doing for the last 30 years in other areas of information technology and other areas of security and build a, a updated threat model 
to understand who are all the players, who, which are the possible uh, goals, which are the possible tools, etc. Bearing in mind that well-funded and well-motivated adversary, whether, it's a, whether it is a foreign nation state or an organization which with conservative resources has never a single goal to achieve. You always have the primary goal, you have a secondary goal, tertiary goal, and probably funds of uh, uh, targets of opportunity should the opportunity present itself. So well, we in, really 2011, in, in 2011, General Valery Gerasimov, uh, Russia's deputy defense minister, said that his country couldn't compete with the West with tanks and guns, but could compete in areas of misinformation, disinformation, and sowing dissension. So can these cyber yes. attacks be as effectively dangerous as a military attack? Yes, uh, I, I think Amy Klobuchar was, was, was the one who, who actually all of the senators, there are four senators in our film, um, uh, James Langford, who is a Republican, Amy Klobuchar, um, uh, Ron Wyden, and Mark Warner, and all of them refer to cyber war, and, and Amy Klobuchar in particular. And that's what this is. We are effectively, and it has to be seen that way, because unless we take this seriously, uh, we do not have control of over, over our elections, and whether that be the presidential election or even the local one, um, because they are waging a cyber war. And if you, it has to be seen in those terms and it has to be um, approached that way, because that's what is, is going on. And that's not me saying that. That's, that's um, four very senior senators on the Senate Intelligence Committee. And Harry, so, it's called asymmetrical <clears throat> warfare? It's asymmetrical warfare. And I actually would say that it would be a lucky situation if it would be only cyber war. But that's not true. We are really in a hybrid war and, uh, and a hybrid warfare where you have psychological psyops, uh, which is a psychological warfare. You have the cyber ops. And cyber uh, cyber war, and you have a, a supporting uh, a, a military operational influences. So it, it's it's really more dangerous even than the cyber war alone, because the cyber warfare and using the technology like the social media, etc., has given a completely new opportunities to run a, a psychological warfare. And one thing which is again the same way as hacker as a term has been becoming one word. Uh, the words which have, have been mentioned here, uh, three words, propaganda, misinformation, and disinformation, have been used in media almost interchangeable, and that is not true. They are three different, completely different tools and completely different mm. tactics and methods. Propaganda is to make you to believe in something, which the adversary is presenting as wanting you to believe. Misinformation is to undermine and undercut the uh, honest information and, you know, tactically uh, discredit it. But it, it, both of these are a short-term tactical approaches. Disinformation is the evil brother, the really dangerous one of the three, because what it really is, it is a human mental virus. We humans, we don't really have a human firewall behind our eyes and between our ears. So that's why we can get 
infected by a mental virus. <laughs> this information is really about a deliberately constructed a set of self-conflicting messages where the, the goal is to distort your frame of reference, you distort your frame of reality to make the foundation which you need in order to get new facts and build a worldview destabilized. Now, it's why is the result, internet a perfect asymmetrical tool? It, it's the it's it's reach. Germany. It, it's it's reach. a reach, but the other part of that is that you can micro-target. A lot of people still don't understand that when I go to Facebook and you go to Facebook, we see completely different ads, we see completely different stories. We say mm -hmm. everything is different. So the, 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 the paradigm here is that our mind, even when we intellectually uh, know that, of course, it, it's different to everyone, we still, as a community and as a people who are social, we still don't internalize the fact that we are not anymore sharing. Me and my best friend, we are not anymore sharing the same reality because social media is customizing the message to each of us by making whatever is, uh, is by the algorithm decided, we are more subtle to, to accept. Uh, that is incorporated into the message. So that's why we, they're really the, the micro-targeting, the, uh, the lack of privacy. And that's really, a lot of governments has been pushing a, a because of security purposes and security excuses uh, elimination of privacy and right now we are seeing the negative ramification this is not what they had in mind when they and uh, their justifications the negative ramification is uh, way more dangerous than any positive thing they were trying to think would come out of lack of privacy now, right now, micro-targeting is, that's the brainchild of lack of privacy. Now, Sarah, Russia has targeted all 50 states in every country in NATO. Do they have the same goals in every country? Yes, I, I think fundamentally it's to undermine democracy. Fundamentally, they don't like democracies. And the, 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 the fundamental aim in every country is is pretty much the same, which is to undermine our faith in the vote um, and therefore our faith in democracy. Um, they helped Marie Le Pen it, in France. Does it matter to them that yes, she's the head of an extreme right-wing party? No, they, they like that. They like that. And they want, to, they want to sow dissent in France and dissent in, in, in Estonia. They, they, it was only at the very last minute that they figured out that they had almost elected a far, far right guy who, in fact, they had only 1% of the country had voted for. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it then is, is much more insidious than picking some person, some any person. It's much more insidious than that because they want to undermine the faith in our ability to elect leaders that we want. Um, Are the Russians afraid and, of and getting so, caught? I'm sorry for no, interrupting. The, 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 this is the, 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 actually one of my favorite parts in the film is Hari's friend, Nico Hippenman, who's in Finland. And he is part of a company called S-Secure. And they had done an awful lot of investigation on this and published a report 
showing that it is the Russians and naming all their IP addresses and naming the people involved and where it came from and how they did it. And they published this report, and it went all over the world and was downloaded by thousands of people. Um, and he expected that the Russians would, would stop doing it, stop yeah. using the same IP addresses, stop it. And they didn't. And as he says in the film, that's all you need to know about the fact that it goes all the way to the top in Russia, because they weren't afraid of being caught. Um, and Atari says in the film, it's a power play. It's like, a, you know, it's in your face. You know, what are you going to do about it? And we Harry, have how could, about it. how could another nation retaliate against them? Well, again, that's the, the problem in, in asymmetric warfare. Uh, first problem of cyber is that the, the hardest part of anything with cyber is attribution. So how you convince yourself that you know exactly what, even if you know it came from country X, and even if you know it was uh, in, in, in the uh, uh, actors from that country, how you know what was the common structure? Was this sanctioned? Was this known? Was this sponsored? Was this just accepted? What is the level of influence? Was this a grassroots uh, where, you know, the, the attribution is, is very hard. And when, when you have a problem getting the attribution, that is the problem where you run into issue of trying to figure out what is the proper response, what is the way you respond to the actions in kind so that you don't escalate the situation unnecessarily, but you deliver the, because that's not, any kind of response of that would be a communication. It's a communication, maybe not verbal, but it's communication to, to tell there are decisions have consequences. So the question is how you tune that your response is hitting the home. And, and also bear in mind that more accurately you target, more scary it is. If you are, if you are retaliating or if you are responding and your response hits to the wrong place, that is actually can be seen even encouragement instead of uh, of, uh, of uh, repellent for future attacks because it's like okay you 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 missed the point in attribution so it's really really hard to to uh, determine what is the right response now does a and hacker again, yeah finish your thought I'm sorry yeah and again if you, if you if if we go back to the question about the kill chain so the whole idea of kill chain whether it's the, the in Second World War for the United States, it was called 4S. Find the enemy, fix the enemy, fight the enemy, and finish the enemy. But the part, and, and then it evolved to be F2T2EA, which is find, fix, target, track, engage, and assess. But the key part of all of the kill chains is that before you really move into the real attack you pin the enemy down you you uh, make you create a set of actions which eliminate your ad, your your target's ability to react you eliminate your target's uh, ability to move and uh, or or make a decision in 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 psychological warfare in a a this kind of situation what you want to create uh, 
stop is a government's ability to learn what is going on and create a response and, and make a decisions. So once you break that circle, now you have a uh, you have eliminated your uh, your opponent's capability of react, and now you no. can finish the ML. And does so a again, yeah, and what? Yeah. Does a hacker need to change votes on the uh, or the vote count in order to create chaos? I'm I'm thinking about what happened uh, no. in some polling places in Durham, North Carolina, in 2016, which right. resulted in long lines and delays, uh, obviously uh, discouraging many people from voting because they uh, they need to get to work, they need to be somewhere else on a Tuesday. So, might the problems in registration have changed the election results? The, yes, and in, in Georgia, you saw in 2018 where, where you know, all these cards that, that start up the machines went down in, in largely black um, precincts and, and caused chaos, and people stood in line for five to six hours, and that was 2018. But it happened to be a very important election for governor. Um, because Brian Kemp, was, was, Brian Kemp yes. was fa facing Stacey Abrams. Uh, he won by a very narrow margin, uh, but he was already he was overseeing the election he was participating in, and uh, yes. he he fought against replacing outdated and secure AccuVote machines. Yes, he he fought against it for years, um, and then he moved all those machines. They were housed at Kennesaw State University. He moved them all into the Secretary of State's office, and he, being the Secretary of State, therefore had control. <laughs> over the machines that were counting the election. And, so, and Harry, you were in a Georgia at that, on that day? Yes, I was. How, how did you learn mm -hmm. that a single machine at a polling place in a Democratic district in Georgia showed only Republican wins? Is that statistically, uh, I, is that possible? That, that is, uh, I didn't find it, but uh, uh, the analysis carried out by uh, Professor Phil Stark, a professor of statistics at UC Berkeley, and his magical uh, PhD student, and they found they not only did a theoretical analysis, but they actually run simulation thousands and thousands of thousands of times to determine uh, the reality and the theory. And they they found out that they, it's it's one out of millions, which is the odds that that kind of mm. thing would happen randomly. Uh, so did uh, Stacey Evans have any recourse in challenging the election results? I no. am not an attorney, so I don't know that. <laughs> uh, we have to take a little break here, but uh, I want to uh, remind listeners that they're listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM. Take it from a pro. Politics is a dirty business. Do you want to know how to steal an election? We can show you how, for it's easily taught. Teach you how to wheel and deal. Make or borrow, even steal. Anything goes, unless you get caught. Back with Harry Hersey and Sarah Teal, uh, we're talking about a uh, film called Kill Chain, the cyber war 
on America's Election, which is uh, premiering tonight on HBO at 9 p.m. and also will be available on HBO On Demand, HBO Now, HBO Go, and, and partners streaming platforms. Uh, there are over 3,000 counties in the United States. Do each of them pick the type of voting machine that's used in their county? It uh, depends from state to state. Uh, there are two different kinds of states. There are top uh, down and bottom up. So in in the top down uh, state, some of the states, a um, very small minority of the state, is where uh, it's a uniformly decided for the whole state which system they use. In most of the cases, uh, the there is a selection of certified machines for that state, and then the counties make their own individual choices out of those uh, certified machines which they will want to buy and, and deploy. Now, former FBI Director James Comey and others claim the lack of centralization makes the system harder to hack. Is that true? It's the no. opposite. So <laughs> it, it, it's no. And, and let me explain this. So if you have in your mind a, a idea that you have to manipulate 100% of the votes, then having a diversified system would be providing a security. But we don't have a requirement in, in any sense to hack 100% of votes. So now you come in a situation where the diversification uh, of the elections, if it would be true, works against you because your adversary can learn what systems are they either know best how to manipulate or for whatever reason it's a sweet spot for them. And then they can go around and find where those machines are and use that almost like a menu, a la carte menu. I will do this and I will do that. At the same time, the whole conversation of U.S. elections are diversified is absolutely wrong. Uh, not, I, and I'm not referring to the fact that there are three major uh, voting uh, technology vendors. I'm referring to a middle layer. A middle layer are election services companies, which are uh, prevalently in, in all, all the states, and they are between the vendor and the, uh, the um, uh, county. And in a lot of times, those vendors, those uh, small uh, uh, service companies, are actually performing all the national security level critical tasks because they are programming every election to the voting machine. So... That is, if you are controlling that part of the process, in reality, you are controlling the security of the election. I but many U.S. counties use many U.S. counties so, use hand-counted paper ballots. Is it possible to hang them? So to hack me, them? Let me just continue that. Recently, I was uh, I was working for Secretary of State in one of the swing states, and unbeknown to the secretary, when we started doing the research, we found out that in that state there's over 100 counties. And only two of the counties conducted and run their own elections. Everybody else had outsourced their elections. Mm. Only two of the counties were doing their, their, their own elections. Again, for, uh, for the hand count, which is uh, coming up from time to time, unfortunately, uh, hand count, U.S. elections are so complex. You have so many races on a ballot. We humans are error-prone animals. Uh, so a hand count is possibility only in a very small jurisdictions. For example, I was there last election day uh, in a primary election in New Hampshire. New Hampshire has a, a small jurisdiction where hand count is absolutely feasible. 
but most of the United States uh, votes and, and uh, the bigger jurisdictions, even when you have precincts, hand count is not really a feasible option. Would you advise voters concerned about the security of their votes to request a paper ballot? And what about voting by mail? Yes. So, uh, yes. So, first of all, uh, I one of the things, first of all, nothing we have discussed here should discourage you to vote. Apathy is as dangerous to the democracy as any manipulation of the vote. So, if you're eligible to vote, vote. If, if When you vote, vote all the way down to the ballot. Vote every race because... The money, actually, we are always looking at the top races, but the money is down in about there's billion dollar here, billion dollar there. Bigger the undervote is, uh, easier to manipulate. So vote, vote every race. If you care, become a poll worker. And always, if, if you know, write to your representative, you don't have paper ballot uh, in your, uh, write your representative, request uh, them to, to consider moving the state to hand-marked paper ballot and mandatory risk-limiting audits, because those need to go hand in hand. And in jurisdictions where you have a ballot marking device, it's proposed as the uh, general method, if, if it's legal, ask for hand-marked paper ballots. Mark your ballot yourself. That's, a, uh, that's the safest way to vote. Now, prior to the 2016 yeah, and, election, and, and, go, and go ahead, Sarah. Audit, we should explain, you know, at the, the end of the film, there's a scene where all the ballots are being pulped. Um, so often, even when we have paper ballots, they're not counted, even when an audit's requested. And in many states, it's virtually impossible to request an audit. But um, a risk-limiting audit is when you just uh, can count a, a percentage of, uh, a random percentage of the ballot. And then if you keep counting until it's very clear who the winner is. So it, it, it really works. Colorado's already doing it, and it's automatic. So that you know that a random percentage has been counted and continues to be counted. And that's, and that's it, 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 it's automatic. So it's not anybody's decision to do it or not to do it. And, and that's the answer along with paper ballots, hand-marked no. paper ballots. Prior to the 2016 election, uh, the, the FBI told Florida election supervisors that a foreign power um, had penetrated a vendor doing work in Florida. Was it clear at the time that that foreign power was the GRU, the, the main uh, directorate of the general staff of the armed forces of Russian Federation? Harry? Yes. And well, I'm, I'm I, not sure how they... I mean, I, mean, I mean, I wasn't there, but the only way you can take a look into that is uh, both FOIA documents, Freedom of Information Act, and, and at the same time, the documents uh, uh, leaked and published by Real the winner, and, and her uh, documents she made available for public also shed a light to understand that the realization, uh, it was very early in the situation, uh, clear. Sarah, why did, did the FBI tell the Florida supervisors not to mention the, the call to anyone? Well, I think, it's, I think it, it, comes, it came down to something silly, like that they didn't have security clearance, that most of the election officials didn't have high-level security clearance to be able to, A, share that information, and then to put, it, to put it out there or to do anything with that information once they were given it. Um, and... Most election officials and most senators didn't know that the Russians had done this until reality winner leaked those documents. 
And there she is sitting in jail for five years for actually doing a service that that um, nobody would have known, not the election officials, not our senators, not our Congress people, unless she had leaked those documents. What a great name, Reality <laughs> so, uh, Winner. I know. Well, little thing, you know, she's just this young girl who had very high-level security clearance herself, who who felt that it was important that people understood what was going on. And she's been sent she to prison. crazy looking at these. Go ahead, sorry. She's still in prison? Yes, she's still in prison. Wow. Yes, she's still in prison. And it's, 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 it's wrong. She, she's very young. At, at one point, she was actually really not well um, um, for, for doing us all a great service. Now, there, another really colorful character here is a Russian-speaking uh, actor who calls himself Rasputin. Uh, didn't he hack the Election Assistance Commission in advance of the 2016 presidential election? How was he able to steal credentials? And what kind of information did he obtain? So, it wasn't hard. So, so first of all, the uh, facts are uh, not proven. But uh, let me... Uh, explain one thing. Back uh, in DEFCON, in a voting machine hacking village, we have a sister village, which is called Asylum Roots, which is a teenager hacking village. It's not us, but it's our sister. And uh, three years ago, uh, they ran a challenge for the kids to hack a mock-up uh, election night unofficial re uh, results reporting website. Uh, and they use a technique called uh, SQL inject. Because of using a SQL inject, uh, a first rebuttal was to say, well, this is unrealistic. The websites were pre-hacked. SQL inject will never work in the real life. Uh, sorry, are you not from the same reality? Because SQL inject is coming back over and over again. And when you go to Miller Report, page 50, you find out the GRU use SQL inject against the election website. So it's real. And when you look how those systems work and how uh, the uh, description of what activities, most likely the attack which was conducted against DSE was SQL inject. And SQL inject means that you use a user interface field and you put a special characters into that which will trick the computer to think uh, when you when you when it's expecting you to give a username, you are tricking that username to become an instruction from the back system to run the commands you are giving to it. So that is the most common way, regardless of industry, whether it's insurance, banking, healthcare, elections. This is always the low-hanging fruit, and it is so easy for developers to overlook a little bit of things and reintroduce it. Even if you have already made it safe, when updates and upgrades are done, it's very easy to reintroduce this vulnerability back to your system. Don't election machine makers claim that they keep voting machines in secure locations as required by law? How did you locate a warehouse in Ohio that's full of AccuVote TSX machines? Uh, weren't they being sold uh, on eBay? So. Could I have bought one? Yes. Yes. So first of all, you could have bought yeah, one. Secret, Anyone secret could. Power of eBay. <laughs> yeah. 
And, and by the way, there are voting machines sold in eBay all the time uh, over the years. And not only eBay, uh, we bought a uh, for Defcon number of uh, different kinds of voting machines from government south surplus stores. And the funniest thing when, was when we bought a uh, voting machines, which are still in use in over 20 states. It's a different model than the white one. This is a big one. It's a high-speed scanner, which is producing a massive amount of ballots. We purchased them with a sum of zero dollars because they were bulk. And, and so basically, if you show up with a van and you take them, they are yours. And Ooh. we actually paid for one dollar to get the receipt and buyer's certificate so that we can prove we got it from free. From, so we had to pay for the receipt. Could you have because changed the election them. results as a result? Those machines were, were hacked and we have published a number of different ways how you can trivially manipulate that system. Uh, and I have to I, I have to put one thing out here so that we have a right mental image. The fact that the voting machines are sold in eBay is not a problem. In any serious security, you always assume that your adversary has unrestricted access to everything you have. You, they have unrestricted access to the machines, source code, even the proprietary information inside of the company. And that is a fair assumption because that's almost always true. So your security has to be assuming your adversary has all that information. Security by obscurity was proven in mid-18th century to be wrong. And that was obviously before computers. That was when the time when the hacking was physical locks, uh, physical locks on the door. And at that time, it was proven that security by obscurity doesn't work. It still doesn't work with the computers. It never works. So I'm always speaking. assume that you, your enemy has it. But even furthermore, I would like to point out that many of these voting machines don't come from U.S. One of the best-selling machine uh, types was programmed in Serbia. Another one was programmed in Brazil. The third one was programmed in Canada. So in mm. very many senses, the people who know least about these machines are Americans. Also I'm speaking with Harry Hursty and, and Sarah Teal about uh, some of the things that you'll learn by watching a film called Kill Chain, The Cyber War in America's Elections, which will pre be premiering tonight on HBO at 9. One of the most fascinating things in, in this film, there's, we can't even get to what happened at DEF CON, uh, is uh, uh, a, a someone from India who calls himself Cyberzeist. How did you come in contact with him, this hacktivist who reveals that he hacked into Alaska's voting machines and that he could have changed the vote there? Cyberzeist actually um, tweeted out tweeted, uh, tweeted out that he had gotten into the Alaska election system. Hmm. Um, and that was picked up by uh, sort of an obscure um, electronic blog, I think. Um, and rough, rough for it um, and and then we just sort of kept at it um, Russ is a, is a very uh, persistent researcher um, and it took a year for, for Russ and Simon to um, tr well between tr tracking him down and persuading him to do this um, to actually go on camera to talk um, and it's funny because a lot of people aren't really picking up on Cyberzeist, but in, uh, to me, it's the most shocking part of the film that a young man sitting somewhere in India 
got into the Alaska voting machine systems and could have changed any vote. Do we know um, why he didn't? Couldn't he have made millions selling his information to he Russia? Could have, he could have made millions selling that, selling that backdoor on the dark web, selling that access. Um, and, you know, there's actually something like two hours of interview with him. Um, and I, I ended up genuinely believing that he didn't do that because he does believe in democracy. And he was partly scared of being caught having gotten in so easily. Um, um, but partly, I think he, he, he genuinely felt it was important that people understood that he could have done this, mm. which is why he agreed to give us an interview. Um, but I, I think Go ahead. That part of the film, to me, is the most shocking, and it's funny that people haven't really sort of latched onto it. Um, and Atari says, actually, it's also probably a gateway to something else once you've gotten into Alaska. You know, why Alaska? Well, it's closest to Russia. But, um, mm. you know, from there, you can, go, you can go anywhere. How difficult would it be to correct some of the flaws in the voting system? Hasn't Mitch McConnell blocked votes on several bipartisan bills yes. that might correct six. things like the Secure Elections Act? Yes, six bipartisan Six bipartisan votes now. Uh, when we did the film, it was five. There's been a subsequent one. Um, and he's blocked everyone. And the Secure Elections Act, when Amy Klobuchar, who's Democrat, and James Langford, who's Republican, wrote that bill and got a lot of Republicans and Democrats to, to back it, I thought that, in fact, we were going to have to stop doing our film because it was, it was a, it's a very good bill. And it wouldn't be necessary to do this film. And Harry said, don't, don't be ridiculous. Of course, it's not going to pass. And not pass. It never even came up for a vote. It was stopped by the White House by um, Senator McConnell. Um, and that's happened now six times. Now, if you, attempt you to, if you attempt to fix these problems by calling them to the public's attention, do you worry that you run into the danger of undermining voter confidence? Yes, that's what we're told again and again about not doing this film. <laughs> if you, on the other hand, if you do not fix this, where are we? I mean, we we have we have to fix this. Um, so hopefully, and also, Hari, you can talk to the fact that there was a a study, right, that said you explain that study that said that in fact, if people people still continue to vote even if they think it's so let, let me let me uh, the whole argument about uh, exposing these to uh, undermine the voter confidence in a sense is dishonest and why I'm saying that is because of the fact that in the U.S. the winning candidate can use legal venues to stop any recount or audit of the results. So. I would say that in the situation where an argument that's talking about the problem is a, a discouraging people to vote, then why, when the transparency and confidence would be promoted by auditing the results, winning candidates have a right, which they exercise all the time, to stop the recount and stop the transparency. So you just have to, you have to choose. And, and in this case, really, 
that's why mandatory rate count, which is a solution to uh, a, you should never light an issue without having something in mind how to fix it. And in this case, the fix is mandatory recounts and paper ballots, which will make the process transparent and also promote a public uh, a participation because the risk limiting audits can be a, and, and should be a public event enabling the general public to participate and general public to be present and observe how the confidence that the result was right was uh, has been achieved. Have you offered to share your findings with the manufacturers of the machines? Yes. Uh, so yes. Have they, any of them taken you up on your offer? To Defcon. <laughs> you went to Defcon. So, you you so, started a voting village at Defcon. So so let me let me uh, so and you have to all, do it quickly because we're almost out of time. Okay. All right. So okay. when the Secretary of State, uh, California and Ohio have been uh, a conducting studies and most importantly Everest in 2007. Of course, Secretary of State share all that information to the vendors. Still today, all of those vulnerabilities are unfixed and the report was submitted them 2007. When we have been doing DEFCON, a voting village, we have been every single year open-handed. We have been op welcoming all the vendors with open arms to come into, into the uh, event and, and share with us and they basically have been stonewalling us. Most important and most funny thing is we, we last uh, year had an unhacked ballot where we paired election officials with the um, uh, yeah, hackers in their region to help them. And one of the election officials spotted, because there was no media uh, event, spotted a vendor and called out the vendor in the audience saying, hey, why didn't you submit uh, your machines to the voting village so that we will learn I'm using your machine. I would love you to submit your machine. And the vendor stood up and said, we know there's 100 vulnerabilities. There is no point of exposing them publicly. We, um, we've run out of time. We've only barely touched on the things that we would learn from uh, watching this film. Um, my great gratitude to Harry Hursty and Sarah Teal for talking about Kill Chain, the cyber war on America's election, which premieres tonight on HBO at nine o'clock. And that does it for today's show. I, um, special thanks to Deborah Freeman who produced this segment. If you're new to our program and you like what you've been hearing, you can access past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. We're also available as an iTunes podcast. And don't forget to check out London Lopate at Large on Facebook and Twitter and our website, LondonLopateAtLarge.com, where you can find links to all of our past shows. You may have noticed that my voice sounds a little different this week. In the interest of safety, I'll be broadcasting from my home for the foreseeable future, but we will continue to bring you live shows as long as we can and hope that we can provide you both comfort and interesting information during this exceedingly stressful time. Please be sure to stay safe. We hope that you can join us tomorrow when we'll be joined by Douglas Tallamy and Pete Morosky to discuss a new approach to conservation that starts in your backyard. See you then. Uh -huh.